Welcome along, it's day four of the Galway Film Flat. I'm your host, Gary Kelly of GKmedia.ie, and joined as always by the wonderful Lisa Tracy. Good morning. And Dave Coyne. Hello, everyone. Now, as we know, lots of great shorts taking place this morning and this afternoon at the Galway Film Flat. So, first up, I'm going to catch up with the FLA's Director of Shorts Programming, Eve. Great reaction to yesterday's screening. Tickets are selling so fast, aren't they, for the shorts? Yeah, yeah, it's been very, very busy. Um, starting with uh, the way it West sold out, I think people kind of realised if they wanted to go, they had to buy their tickets and fast. So it's been insane. Today is sold out um, for the shorts, and um, tomorrow, I think, is also sold out. So far, anyway, we kind of get a few, a few uh, come back and we release them again, but I think there's... For at least for the Screen Ireland shorts, I think there's 200 people on that waiting list. So it just shows you we could be we screening them three or four times over and the demand will be there, which is fantastic to see. So Eve, the new shorts, part four, Irish fiction, Irish talent, kicked off at 10 o'clock this morning. So those screenings are currently underway. And then there's going to be a little break and they're back into it again at 12 noon with more shorts. And then, you know, it is only Friday. There's going to be more shorts Again, after that, taking place at two o'clock in the Palace Cinema. I can see this wasn't easy picking. <laughs> yeah, very difficult. Um, and we've tried to cram in as much as we physically can. Particularly today, there's quite a lot on. I think there's nearly nine shorts in that, that next programme at 12 o'clock. So there, there, is, there is a lot on. There is. So being screened at the moment is Miss Red from directors Ashleen Byrne and Sinead O'Loughlin. But it stars a Bingham Ray New Talent Award nominee. Yeah, Daniel Ryan's in in in, um, in the short. Uh, he's a fantastic actor. He's been in quite a few things. He's a really fantastic actor. Um, we did an event with him recently called All Abilities Casting, and he was really great with his time as an actor with the other people who wanted to follow in his footsteps. Um, and he really really opened up about his experience as an actor uh, with an intellectual disability and being able to share that and uh, how he got into the business and how you know how his career has been going and he's just he's a fantastic speaker we actually have him on our short film panel later in the week but uh, the panel decided to put him forward for for the award because he just holds the screen fantastically he's a great he's a great actor and it's great to see so much diversity really across all the shorts this year as well yeah it and it's natural it's there the talent is there it's not it's 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 not box ticking. It's not finding the talent. It's there. It's really obvious, and they they've all earned their place uh, in in this program. All the different actors, all the different voices, all the different communities. Um, it's uh, it's really great to see, and I think that's a good thing with shorts, and that's what the short film panel is actually is about is about why representation matters, and I think short films have the capacity to do that. Unlike sometimes, unlike features, you know, you were able to just pick up a camera and go out and make a film that you want, and you don't have to permission you don't have to get professional actors you can but you can just do make the story you want to tell uh, and I think people from underrepresented groups kind of maybe find that a little bit easier and it's a good way in into film and that's why you know the diversity is there it's just kind of a little bit more inclusive um, and a little bit more DIY and a little bit get out there and do it yourself than than other formats and it's cool as well I've noticed that this year's fly like there's some well-known directors out there who have done docs there's well-known actors out there but they just 
love getting together making shorts and getting them in the flan I think that's so cool yeah definitely like some of the feature filmmakers even of last year uh, the Lakeland boys have come back and they've produced one if not one and a half uh, films so it's great to see people not stepping away from it you know it's its own as he's discussed it's its own uh, art format and for them to come back and do it is is really great um, and then like we have is also the the Pale Rebel uh, women who, who produced quite a few features now and they've done quite well for themselves, still work with totally new filmmakers, totally brand new filmmakers. They just like what they're doing um, and to take a punt on them. So it's really nice to be able to see that community of filmmakers, you know, uh, supporting the next generation uh, of talent. And if anyone is going to this afternoon's shorts in the Town Hall Theatre, which get underway at 12 noon, keep an eye out for Baby Steps because the writer-director, Hannah, is also up for a Bingham Ray New Talent Award. Uh, Hannah's great. But this is her debut um, directing role. So it's really nice that she's stepped into that and she's taken it on herself to tell this fantastic, uh, charming and funny story. But uh, it's part of the actor as creator uh, slate with Screen Ireland. So um, how that works is it's uh, actors apply to tell their own story and their filmic pieces. Not all of them are shorts. Not all of them are are kind of formatted like a short. Um, But it's it's just about them telling, you know, a point of view that they want to share. Um, So there's a very small budget and they get that from Screen Ireland and they're supported by Bow Street and it's a really fantastic scheme. So there's a few of those, Panto, which screened yesterday um, and then there's another short tomorrow as part of that scheme. So it's nice, you know, there's there's different ways of making films and different people are coming into the business and making shorts and sharing their stories um, and Hannah's done a lovely job of, of sharing hers. Excellent. And then finally this afternoon in the Palace, it's pretty much international shorts. You have them from Canada, UK, Turkey, the States, brilliant. This is a really strong programme. Um, uh, a little bit intense, uh, which I like, um, and a little bit out there, but it's a really, really uh, impactful programme and I would recommend anybody getting out to watch it. Uh, yesterday's programme sold out, um, so if you do want to go out to pick up some tickets. But yeah, there's a really nice balance of cultures and stories, um, a little bit of humour in there, so you're, you're not left too, too distraught, but it is quite impactful. So as we were saying at the start, tickets are selling really fast for the screenings of the shorts. So even if they're screening sold out now for this morning, there's still shorts taking place on Saturday and Sunday. So maybe if people are off for the weekend, now is the time to go and book your tickets for them. 100%, 100%. And sometimes you can join waiting lists and sometimes you can check back and tickets come back on sale. Uh, it is a festival, so, you know, things kind of move in strange ways and tickets go to some people um, or like seasoned ticket holders. And if they don't use them, they go on sale. So uh, never say never. And I always do recommend to come along. And if you look needy enough, usually someone will let you in. Um, so, uh, so yeah, definitely. It's worth getting out and supporting for sure. Brilliant, Eve. Thanks for joining us. And we'll talk to you again tomorrow morning. Thank you very much. Now, there's some amazing feature films and documentaries that are definitely worth watching today at the FLA. But the first one we're going to talk about is In the Shadow of Beirut, which screens this afternoon at two o'clock in the Town Hall Theatre. This documentary is, what can I say, it's beautifully shot. It tells the story of modern day Beirut and Lebanon through the eyes of four families living in the impoverished city last month. It picked up three awards at Dock Edge in New Zealand, including Best International Feature and Best Cinematography. 
And I have to say the cinematography is absolutely superb and it's a very powerful documentary that you all need to see. Earlier this week, I spoke to the film's two co-directors, Stephen Jared Kelly and Gary Keane. Gary, of course, has won a heap of awards over the last number of years and deservedly slow, including IFTAs for Deafening and the Writing in the Sky. Firstly, though, I asked Stephen about how did an Irishman end up making a movie about four families living in Beirut? I moved to Beirut in 2015 and by luck I became friends with people from the areas of Sabra and Shatila and over years you know of never having set out to make a film you know after a period of living there for five years and sort of organically beginning to document lives of people who I knew very well for years sort of came to a point where I realized that we could we could make a film. So sort of started to turn on the camera in earnest uh, after about three years of being there and really understanding the language at that point, putting a lot of time and effort into learning Lebanese Arabic and understanding what was in front of the camera before I ever pushed the record button. That was important to me because, again, it, it, it was never really about making a film. It was about understanding and developing my own knowledge of contemporary Lebanese social and the social political landscape there, which is extremely complicated. And at that point, sort of people having developed a massive trust in who I was and also me knowing more about who people were, who my friends were and the different challenges that they face on a daily basis then i began to record the two aspects that resonated with me when watching this documentary firstly living here in western europe overall we are very lucky to have the standard of living and healthcare that we have compared to the people of beirut and it's something we should be grateful for and i think one will only truly realize that after watching this feature and secondly, how as people, despite different cultures, way of life and speaking completely different languages, we are very, very similar. We all have the same concerns, worries, hopes and aspirations. But for these Lebanese people, they without doubt face more difficult situations on a daily basis. I agree. You know, no matter where we are, we all have our different challenges and um, personal journeys about where we've come from and where we're going here in Ireland I've had the immense privilege of growing up in a loving home with a good education and with uh, you know access to health care when needed it's a massive privilege purely based out of where I was born and yes there are challenges here in Ireland and it's a journey for everybody but when you do spend time especially in the areas of Beirut where I spent so many years, you do come to appreciate, you know, everything that you do have that, that might not be particularly clear when you're when you're facing other battles, you know. Gary Keane, co-director of the feature, how did you get involved in this project with Stephen? I got a cold call from Stephen one Christmas, December-ish, wasn't it, Stephen? Um Stephen had just watched the film we'd made back in 2019, Gaza, 
which was down in Galway, Phil and Phil as well. Great screening we had down there, but he just, I think, hit a point where he had recorded so much material that he wanted to, to talk to, to someone who had a bit more experience in the field of making documentaries, which I've been doing for the last 25 years. So I ticked that box anyway. And the two of us got on really well for the first chat, and we chatted for a long time. And then came back how long later? It was a good few months later, Stephen, and had our second conversation about it all. And basically at the time, because we were dealing, we were fresh off dealing with, um, well, I say fresh off, it was a couple of few years, but, you know, we had gone through the process of dealing with a place like Gaza and trying to make a film there. And also a process that involved a lot of rushes, an awful lot of the rushes. I mean, hundreds of hours of rushes, having somewhat the discipline of, of knowing how arduous it is and how concentrated you have to be to get through that amount of footage and mine the best stories from it because Stephen had shot multiple stories some of which haven't made the cut as such because you just don't have enough time there was two two feature films we could have made out of the footage nearly you know yeah so one way or another we 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 decided to to try and make something of it and then I introduced Stephen to Brendan Byrne who produced Gaza and he took an interest obviously and said he'd try and raise the money and then we introduced this old Howlett the editor to the to the to the scene and as a small group you know that included ourselves here real films up in Donegal and Alison to me and and a few others we we kind of just chipped away at trying to get the funding for it and Brandon raised enough to bring us out on two other journeys two other shooting trips we sat with me uh, joining Stephen out there and I got to meet all of the families and they just welcomed me in they had known Stephen for many years at that stage but they welcomed me in with open arms into their houses and into their lives. And so then, you know, the process of of, of, of trying to edit it was was pretty substantial, you could say. But between the three of us and it's all at the helm, we chipped away and chipped away until we got the best stories and the best storylines. And uh, yeah, 26 or 28 weeks later, we came out with a film. So it was, uh, it was a, a, a tough enough old road, both by Stephen initially, and then once we came on board, just to, to make it happen and bring it together as an actual film, you know, but a very, very worthwhile one. Stephen, there are some really moving scenes in this feature. As a viewer, it can be tough to watch at times, but for you as a filmmaker, it must have been extremely challenging. It was very emotional and taxing. And some days, you know, would be, Happy days and some days would be pretty tough days, but it was all about the human connection, you know, and I think that that shines through, but that was allowed when there was this immense trust. Finally, Gary, with an abundance of footage, how do you structure a storyline for a documentary of the scale that keeps an audience engaged throughout? Now, I think the strength of this is that we follow the stories of each individual family and create beats around their storylines that are real beats. They're not manufactured as such. And, and all we were really doing was was making sure that they cut, that we had the footage to make them work as, as edits as such. You know what I mean? The storylines were pretty intact. We might have, you know, decided to, to go out and re-interview and get more content to explain some of the storylines that were already there or get some more coverage shots that allowed us link or transition from one scene to the other. 
but it's extremely hard to grasp and extremely hard to forge that out and mine that out and and extremely difficult to get that balance right when you're jumping between four stories and trying to get the beats right across. I think there might be something like 26 or 28 different beats across the 90 minutes, you know. So the juxtaposition of all those, how they sit together, who you start with, who comes next, who follows the pattern, whether you keep to that pattern or whether you vary it around a bit, which we ended up doing. It doesn't follow a, a pattern. We follow a pattern to establish the four families to begin with, but then we kind of jump in and out of the storylines depending on who has more beats than other stories or other characters. So, yeah, it was really, really difficult. And, you know, 26, I think it was 26 weeks, you know, it was a hard 26 weeks trying to find that balance. And then once we kind of found a rough balance, then we knew kind of for the two shooting trips that I went with Stephen on, we knew pretty much, I think we were fairly clear about what we needed and we went and got it. You know, we didn't, there wasn't really any element of when we went out shooting the next time, we, you know, it was far more organized and we knew what we needed and Stephen communicated that to the families. So they knew what we were doing because it was a different form of shooting than they would have been used to with Stephen. You know, it was far more like a, a shot list. <laughs> Uh, as far as you can do a shot list in those neighborhoods with those families. But we tried to keep to it and we kept to it fairly well. And we both got COVID on the first trip and I broke my ankle on the second one. So that added to the complexity of it all. But, you know, you muddle through it and and you get through it. And as I said, none of it would have been possible without the families buy in. And they completely and utterly bought into the process and bought into the idea that they trusted Stephen and they they had come to to love the guy and wanted to, to really nearly help us make the film about them in one sense do you know what i mean and be true to themselves and be true to what Stephen had recorded over the previous years so it was a really 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 touching experience actually the, the working on it it was very emotional roller coaster through it all especially with the storylines as you've seen you know very sad times and but you know, I just think it's a, it's a really important film for people to see, you know, and it's really important that we have it out there in the world now. And it was really great to get the start that we got on the premiere in New Zealand. I mean, those three awards really kind of just confirmed to us that we had a film that people were responding to and could respond to and will respond to hopefully going forward. So that makes it all really worthwhile that whole journey and especially for the families you know it's all about the families really it's not about myself and steve and other team really we're just vehicles to to get it out there and, and get people seeing what they should be seeing and uh, drawing attention to what we really hope we can draw attention to out there you know and thanks again to Stephen and gary for joining me earlier in the week and i actually Pumped into Stephen earlier today and he's all excited now about the screening this afternoon at two o'clock. Dave and Lisa, you both got to see an advanced screening of In the Shadow of Beirut. What were your thoughts? Well, beautifully shot was the initial uh, feeling of this movie. It's 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 fantastic. It's like every scene, every every shot is really well put together and there's nothing obviously fake about it it's a documentary but um it really brings you into the the shadow of Beirut if you will you know the not I won't say like just the slums but like that's basically what it's what it is it's like the toughest part of Beirut and uh these families and they let you into their lives and just really well put together a film you know you get into each family's trauma and what their what their route is and how difficult life is for them and i just think it was really well done and i look forward to whatever is coming next from those guys yeah i couldn't agree more i mean this film is tricky to watch uh i i watched the the screener on my electric recliner 
with a Coke Zero and some ice, and I had my dog asleep beside me and a bag of crisps, and I just was wiggling my toes, comfortable as you like, and then you're watching these people struggling with everything that they have to struggle through. And it made me feel terrible. I was like, you know, because it's hard to watch. You, you kind of wonder, like, this maybe this, is, maybe this is part of the message that they want to send. Like, what can we do, what can I do to help these people? Because I guarantee you, if I was in Beirut right now, these people would help me. They just, they introduced us to these four families. And you know that if you were on the streets, that they would help each other. They're helping each other. They're looking after each other. And the little boy who's four and he's getting his hair cut and he's talking like a 50-year-old man going, well, I lost my job now and I have to get a new job. And it's like, he's four. He's four years old. I have shoes older than this kid. And he's getting a haircut talking like a 56-year-old man. And I just want to go over there and feed him, put some clean clothes on him and get him into school because he's got smarts. And you just feel helpless. And that's just me watching a documentary. So that very powerful documentary. It made me feel a lot of things. Um, these people are just the salt of the earth. And, uh, you know, I'm a big softie, so I just think all people are good. And uh, But these people, like, you get introduced to these families and the stories that they have, and it's harrowing. A lot of this is harrowing. It's tough to watch in parts, but at the same time, it's beautiful because they overcome and towards the end of the movie, there's an uplift. They start talking about what they have. We have love. We have each other. And I love the fact there's a couple of montages at the very end, the last two or three minutes of the movie, where they're all laughing and smiling. And they have nothing. They barely have a bit of food to eat that day. And there's, they're sending out their four-year-old kid, one of the families, one of the mothers sending out a four-year-old kid to earn a dollar a day, one US dollar a day. And he's doing dirty, rubbish work. And there's still a little scoop of happiness that they can hold on to. So very powerful documentary, very beautiful, very harrowing, um, but a must-see for me. And I must say as well, I think it's great for us to have the opportunity at the Galway Film Flat to see films and stories like these that largely we are so ignorant to. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be au fait with what's happening, you know, between Palestine and Israel. I read, he, see the news all the time, but I don't really know. You know, I don't really know. Who really knows? You know, the US military, uh, the governments of the world, probably not. It's, and the people on the ground even don't know exactly why this bomb happened or these people are bombing us. They don't know why they just need, they, we need to run. We need to get out. Somebody's bombing us. We've got to get out. Like there's kids there talking about, we had a great life. We were in Syria. And then these bombs came. And their kids, they don't understand what, who's bombing and why they're bombing and what they want and who's paying for the bombs and who's paying for the planes and what the hell they're doing and who are these soldiers and all this stuff. It's, it's like we watch, you know, Star Wars movies and things and we get all riled up about the Jedi and the good guys and the bad guys. But this is real. These are real people right now somewhere. This kid is sweeping up rubbish in the streets of Beirut right now as I'm talking. And he's earning a dollar a day if he's lucky. And he's begging for food. And he's not a schlepagon, you know, getting the social welfare. Like these people are told you can't get a driver's license. You can't get any ID. You can't get a proper, quote unquote, proper job. Then when they're hustling, they have to hustle to survive. And then the story of the, the, the little girl with the skin problem. Like my heart just broke. It's, it's tough to watch, but... Um, as you said, Gary, it, it educates us, not educates us in terms of demographics and political, and this is the news at nine o'clock, nonsense. This is the real people on the ground. So it, it's, it's essential viewing to give us insights. Excellent. So that is In the Shadow of Beirut, which screens at two o'clock this afternoon in the Town Hall Theatre. Now, I just want to give a little shout out as well to a short documentary that I saw 
during the week and I really loved it. It's called Ballymanus and it screens at 3.30 in the Palace this afternoon and it is written and directed and produced by Patrick Sharkey. Indeed, it kind of follows a theme in the sense of it's a disaster that was inflicted on many families in Donegal in the 1940s, including his own family. So basically something washed up on the 10th of May in 1943, created a lot of curiosity around the community, and it ended up in, I think it was 19, if not 21 people, ultimately died as a result of what washed up at the shore there. And it questions who was responsible. Um, people were made aware that this thing was making its way to shore, but no one took the responsibility that they should have. You know, it's a disaster that could have been avoided. Questions are asked. It's certainly old Ireland were a hush, a wink and a nudge. And a lot of, you know, things hushed up and moved on. And it's it's a very, again, tough documentary to watch in terms of the, the theme of the story. But it also, it angers you as that this happened and that no one to this day really knows about this story. And uh, it's just fantastically put together. And Patrick kind of has his own, I think, younger brothers featured in it as well, who kind of play characters of those who actually passed away. In, in, in the reenactments, like? Reenactments, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then he does this beautiful thing where he gets them to talk about, so this might have been their uncle or something uh, who passed away. So we'll say one of the brothers was playing an uncle. And it's only from actually doing the reenactment that he's really getting to come to terms with this story and something that affected his family generations ago. Because often when we hear of, you know, 21 people who were killed, if we don't know those people, we don't know anything about those people, it's, it's very easy to not feel it. But then when you actually know it's in the blood, it's in the family, and now you're performing, you look like what your uncle would have looked like back then or your great uncle or whatever. Um, I thought it was a very interesting style. He added on to kind of the third act of the documentary, but it's it's really well done. And I just, I think people should go and see it just to even know the story, but to see, you know, what a young filmmaker has put together here at the FLA. Okay, next up in the Town Hall Theatre, 4.30 this afternoon is the feature film Verdigree from writer-director Patricia Kelly. And earlier on this morning, I got to meet Patricia, her co-producer Paul, and the two leading ladies in the movie, Geraldine McAlidden and Maya O'Shea. Here's what they had to say. I'm delighted to be joined by the leading cast, producers, and director of Verdigree, which screens this afternoon at 4.30 in the Town Hall Theatre, a must-see movie. Patricia Kelly, producer, director, writer, and editor of Verdigree. Thank you for joining us, and thank you for coming to Galway. Tell people about this movie that I love so much. Thanks very much. Um, what a lovely introduction. We're, we're delighted to be here uh, having our world premiere of Verdigree in Galway. It's such a special uh, film festival um, and, and we just we know we're going to have so much fun here. Um, Verdigree is a, is, is a very personal film. It's a, an amalgamation of lots of my own stories and those of people close to me over the years. Um, so it was really kind of a, a labour of love um, and it was just so wonderful to get so many so many terrific collaborators in uh, producer Paul and in the cast and in the crew um everyone worked so hard and really responded to to the material and I, I could not be more proud of the end result. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled with how it has all turned out and just can't wait for everybody to get to see it now. 
It's so hard to make a movie. It's so easy for it to go all disastrously wrong. But this worked and this works so well. And I think the audience will be so invested in the characters and follow the story and root for them. How did you make that work? I think um, from the very beginning, when I when I was even just outlining the story, even even before moving on to writing the script, and certainly before any kind of casting process or anything like that, I always knew that the, that the story really is going to utterly centre on these two main characters and their relationship, and anything, any decision or any thought along the way that might in any way kind of move move away from that or derail that, uh, you know, had to be had to be uh, reined back in. It was always going to be about the two characters, what they're going through in their lives, their similarities, their differences, their dynamic, and uh, finding the 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 two um, amazing actors who are going to fulfil those roles was always going to be crucial and boy did we do that and how long was the journey from putting the first words on a piece of paper to actually getting it complete and ready for its world premiere here at the fla it was actually an incredibly short uh, period of time um considering many other films it's less than two years um i think i first uh worked on the outline and and gave it to my writers group uh to critique it and give me some feedback on in advance of writing uh, the first draft i think i did that it was definitely about 18 20 months ago um and so well i spent let's say the guts of a year uh, in working on the script and researching it and doing workshops and so on and then, um, you know, a couple of months uh, in, in, in heavy pre-production, um, three weeks shooting. Um, we began shooting on the 16th of January. So less than six months. It's two days shy of six months when we will uh, premiere today, which is, which is pretty incredible. That is amazing. So I got to link over to you, Paul. You're the producer. So, you know, unfortunately, the, the average lifespan of getting something off the ground and completed is really about five years. So how did you get things in motion moving so fast uh, to get into production and have it completed ready for the fly? Well, I came on board uh, last summer and it, particularly from a script point of view, it was kind of, Patricia, Patricia brought it to me as a very much fully formed thing. Script was very much there. I think you had already kind of started thinking about casting and budgeting and all that. And um and then I came on board and we literally just, uh, we, we, my first, my first thought was this needs to be ready for FLA. That was for, for it's, it's, it's launch party needs to be the goal of film FLA because that's where so many brilliant Irish films get launched. So, uh, I think we had to tweak our schedule slightly, <laughs> uh, moving it into the coldest, coldest weeks of January to shoot. Um, sorry guys, that was my <laughs> fault. And, um, so yeah, so we, so we, as Patricia said, we, we worked really hard over Christmas. There was, I think there was Christmas day conversations <laughs> at, and um, certainly Christmas holiday conversations. And we knew that we were, we had, we, we had a lot, a lot of work to do up to, um, the 15th of January, uh, first day on set. And we literally shot it for, for, the, for the three weeks. And it was essentially a five week shoot that Patricia managed to do in three weeks by some absolute miracle. Um, and yeah, so I said, so it was fa fantastic to do that. And then while that was all going on, I was staying well out of the way because on the first day of shooting, our, our first AD told me, Paul, your shadow is in the shot. Get out. So I left. Um, and, and the rest of the time was me basically, basically, Try, trying to get it, helping Patricia as much as possible um, as she was shooting it, directing it, 
uh, and then editing it and getting it ready. And I, I tried not to put any pressure on her to get it finished for our deadlines, but uh, I hope I was nice. Um, and then, so in fairness to Patricia, she just delivered an amazing, an amazing film in a, a very, very short period, period of time. That's unbelievable. Something that always delays the process of a film as well is raising funding. And there's a lot of encouragement to do European co-productions, which again, slows down the process further. How did you pull a budget together for the movie? I, similarly with everything else, which Patricia and myself worked really hard together to, to get this budget together. We essentially made it for a micro, micro, micro budget. It was, it was. We, we were talking about this this morning. In fact, our overall budget comes under fifty thousand euros, which is just you know, if you if you look at the massively bloated budgets that are going on around the world in film production to be able to make a fully finished 92 minute feature film that's festival ready for 50,000 is is by no means a miracle and raising the budget was done in two very simple ways we had to we had to go and borrow money for for initial for the initial financing um and then we did a crowdfunding project and we raised the rest of the funding that way and then Patricia put some money in I put some money in and that was literally we we pulled the money together that way in order to, to get this film produced. I'm even more blown away. I was blown away when I saw the movie and I emailed you back when I saw it saying, wow, absolutely loved it. To think of a shot in such a short period of time and to shoot uh, with such a restricted budget and what you have made with that is unbelievable. Delighted to be joined by nominee for the Bingham Ray New Talent Award, Maya O'Shea, who is in two features at the FLA this year, but the one we want to talk to her about is Verdigree, where she plays someone who comes off as quite a nasty, you know, she really has a stone wall personality, but then we very quickly warm up to her when we get to kind of understand her. Talk to us about your character and how you could kind of relate to her. I mean, I'm not much older than her I suppose like it I still can very much relate to a lot of what she's going through I mean I've grown up in Dublin myself um yeah it really wasn't in some ways like so far away obviously from my own life but like yeah it was it was easy to fall into the character you know she's a good gal she means well like yeah huge heart and I just yeah it was a privilege to get to play her and talk to me about your own journey in acting, because I know you were in Normal People and you're also in Made in Dublin, which is also at the Flau, but like, you know, you're up there with Geraldine leading the way in Verdigree. In a short space of time, you're really showing your true colours and depth and worth as an actor, but it's never an overnight success. But what has that been like for even young people trying to find their way in the acting industry in Ireland? I think the timing was right, you know, like, I think I definitely had expectations after normal people. I was still in college when that happened. Um, I wasn't represented, so I was, you know, that was pretty big for me. Then COVID, you know. And then, yeah, I got Verdigree and Made in Dublin in the same month, like really soon after taping. So then it was like I was baffled, you know, um, but obviously I'm staying humble because I just like there was such a long dry spell <laughs> between those two things, you know, um, almost lost hope, but didn't, thankfully. Yeah, of course, it's it's so difficult, but like you just have to stay hopeful, just like chase your dreams, you know, like if you don't have 100 percent blind faith in yourself, it's just not going to happen for you. 
like I know that this is what I'm doing now and I'm confident with that and yeah I just love it it's just grace isn't it <laughs> I'm so lucky like I'm honestly it's been an absolute mad year for me like I just handed in my notice in the coffee shop still have two more shifts but then I'm done and yeah. might have to go back there um most probably will have to go back there during another dry spell but for now I'm I'm happy it's all because of these guys <laughs> so I know you've seen the movie already so like has that really driven your confidence now in yourself as an actor seeing yourself on the screen when it's all put together and as I said you're there as one of the leads yeah I'm I won't even lie I got to I was crying the whole way in the taxi there I was crying to Geraldine um right before I watched it I was like shaking like a leaf I had it's not like I had so much faith in the film but you know I can't even watch my tapes back like I make my mum do that I'm obviously you know I will watch the final one that gets sent off but I was so so nervous that I would just like you know just not be able to watch myself with it and like I just cried at the end because I was like no that was it was just such a beautiful film and I was proud of myself and I was proud of Geraldine and like I mean honestly it was it was me and Geraldine that like I think we're the same do you know so we really just like held it together and we're so supportive of each other and it's just my head isn't it <laughs> it's brilliant and as I'm talking to you I'm looking at Geraldine who's just looking at you almost in awe and I just wonder what's going through your head Geraldine McLidden you of course play Marion in the movie but what are you thinking at the moment uh, as Maya is talking about you know the start of her career in acting um I am thinking about the first time I met Maya which was outside the rehearsal room for our chemistry audition so it was the second audition for the film and uh, my niece had actually uh dropped me off and um and I uh, I was like I'm not going in yet I'm, I'm not sitting outside the rehearsal room you know and I'd I, I, I leave it to the five minutes beforehand then I run in and I saw Maya and she'd been there for ages and I was like my god she's less than half my age and and she's been there for so long and then I, I knew I was going in ahead of her and and I was auditioning with um with somebody else and then Maya was coming into me and then I was leaving and somebody was going into audition with Maya and I, I just my heart went out to you there and then <laughs> and um no we we yeah, I think we both have been pinching ourselves to to get to work on such a brilliant project. The writing from the get go was just like I hadn't planned to do any acting last year. I, I I'm at the other end of the spectrum. I've been doing it for over twenty years, and you know you get some really nice gigs, but it's hard to it's hard to keep paying the bills. Uh, so I'd been slowly looking at going to do something else like screenwriting. And I'd been lucky enough to get a get a, a place on the IADT masters, and uh, so and the Friday before uh, I started the masters, I found out that I'd been cast in the film. <laughs> so I had to go into Paul Freeney on day one and go, oh, "It's good news and bad news." <laughs> and uh, it, it, college were brilliant; um, they they let me take three weeks off uh, to film. So yeah, just feel really humble and grateful to get this opportunity to play such a brilliant character in such a brilliant movie like Patricia's I think it was a page and a half treatment just you read that and you wanted to be in it I, I definitely did and then um, 
I'd auditioned for Patricia before on, on a really brilliant short and I hadn't got the part, but I'd loved auditioning. And uh, I was so delighted that she remembered me when my tape went in and she was like, yeah, because I, I was actually in in Germany at the time when I, I got the audition call and I knew I'd be back a bit late. So she very kindly gave me a couple of days over the weekend to get the tape in. And yeah, so I'm very grateful. I'm very grateful to be working with this one. Um, yeah, no, we had the best time. It's great to see that the chemistry that we see on screen is actually so genuine in person because unfortunately when you do these gigs the chemistry that you see on screen can be the complete opposite when you meet the actors in person and there's a bit of tension should we say it might no it's 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 great to see you getting on and just you know the admiration that you have for each other as well as for Patricia and Paul just the character and the journey that Marion goes through, uh, it's, um, it's, it's relatable, it's understandable, it's very sad. But what I loved was just how, you know, you had Marion with just this chirpiness and positive attitude all the time, no matter what was going on, even when she was just making phone calls or doing the voice memos, walking the street and just that little switching in scenes and so on. Yeah, I mean, years and years and years ago, I used to be... Uh, uh, lawyer and I did a wee bit of um, matrimonial law as a trainee solicitor and when I got the script uh, it brought me back to a couple of clients and one in particular who was just having the most horrendous time and, and somewhere inside managed to get herself and her five kids away from a really horrible situation and I just thought she's a fighter and there's there's one thing I won't give any spoilers but there's something that she does uh, consistently through the story that I thought this is she she's going to find herself in this and it's just a joy to watch her bloom under guidance from Jewel because you think older woman younger girl you know Marion would have everything to teach Jewel but that's that's not the way of it they both teach each other things but certainly the confidence that Marion gets from from seeing Jewel and how Jewel is thriving in the world in a way that she's not uh, and it and it makes and even seeing Jewel's relationship and how you know Jewel is a beacon of of light and hope for Marion, you know, in a situation where, you know, a lot of people would look at that and go, no, you know, middle middle class, you've got it all. Um, and uh, no, it's just gorgeous. <laughs> just as we wrap up, uh, I'm interested to hear what lies ahead for people. So, Maya, even if you don't have something written in stone, what even direction do you want to go in next? I've done a couple of film residencies. Uh, I've definitely, like, I've started directing things for friends, you know, like music videos and stuff, but it's a start. Yeah, I'm just kind of like putting my hands in all the baskets at the moment and trying it all. But I also think it always, like, you know, to be a good actor, you need to know how you need directors to be for you and stuff. So it's kind of like doing everything so they all, they'll all end up helping each other. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and I, yeah, hopefully not having to go back to a day job. That's the main mission. I, I'd love to just focus 100% of my time on like filmy story-based things, you know, creative pursuits. I've, yeah, been working for a long time and I'm ready to do what I actually really want to do, you know. Um, yeah, very lucky to be in Ireland as well, like to be able to do that, you know, super lucky. Yeah, well, my big thing is get my master's finished in IADT, uh, get the pitching done on Sunday as well. So you're doing the pitching awards as well. So yeah. what are you pitching? Uh, I'm pitching a feature film 
uh, yeah. So it's actually the, the film I wrote in the Masters. Uh, so which I... I've got to try and get into 90 seconds. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, so there's that and, and finish up my master's. And um, as a result of that, there's, there's two ideas I came up with in the master's I'm going to adapt into hopefully one woman shows that I can sort of start to tour and build up and, and hopefully promote and, and get them onto screen. Other than that, the dream is to give up the day job. I, that Twelve years ago, I walked away from law and, and said, this is it, this is me done. I'm, I'm not being a part-timer anymore. I'm going to do it full-time. And unfortunately, then three years later, the savings ran out and I had to go back. And I've been very lucky um, uh, with different jobs, but um, I've been very lucky with the job I have at the moment that there's a flexibility that lets me do this. But the dream would be to purely live off the arts and act, write, direct, continue to, to produce. And uh, and one credit you forgot to give Patricia Kelly is she's also an actress and she's in the film as well. And she's amazing. Um, so, yeah, she's she is a polymath. The, the social worker. Oh, God, I only cop that now. <laughs> Thanks, Shirley. Paul, uh, everyone's going to be trying to become your best friend out the film fly. If you're making having a feature film made within three weeks of a budget of 50 grand. So you have to up your fees there, I think. Yeah, we have to get our cost, our spending down, don't we, Patricia? Um, uh, yeah, what I said, a lot of a lot of that, the our work has to go to Patricia as well as co-producer and said it really was a, a team effort to get to, to get the cost down. And to, to be honest with you, I wouldn't. I wouldn't advise right, uh, filmmakers or producers to try and make a film for for that low budget. It's it's not a great model for for film production. You're having to compromise on things creatively and production wise. You shouldn't really have to. Um, it, it's 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 a great exercise from to, to learn how to do it. But it's not what I, I would recommend as a as an ongoing uh, business process. And certainly uh, uh, for my next film, at least I'd like to have at least twice that budget. <laughs> And we, will you be coming back to the fly again? You can't keep me away from the fly. Um, I've been go, I've been coming to the fly for fifteen years. I think I'm I'm pretty well known around these parts at this stage. But um, yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, as I as I said earlier, like I want any film that I make, any film that I make in the future, I want its I want its kind of debut, its coming out party to be at Fla. Um, the team here are brilliant. Mae McGrath is just she was so good to us during in, in the in the run up to the festival. So it's just uh, it's absolutely our, it's a, my dream as a producer. Um, and I'm do a bit of writing as well to have my films debuting at the Fla because this is the home of Irish film. Finally, Patricia, it's the worst thing you can ever ask a director when they have a movie being premiered at the Gaudi Film Fla. What are you going to work on next? Because I don't even think that that should be in your mind at the moment, that you should just fully embrace and appreciate the fantastic piece of work that you've put together. But just what would you like to do next, do you think? Like so many other uh, writers and writer-directors, I have uh, a, a, a number of scripts that I'm working on, a, a couple of features in, in different genres and, and a couple of uh, returnable TV series that I'm fleshing out and developing, you know. So I would like one of them to move forward <laughs> in, in, in a very substantial direction. Uh, looking forward to uh, the, the marketplace uh, over the um, coming days and, and having lots of interesting meetings and uh, seeing what might come of that. Um, so carry on as before 
more, take, take a project, work it further, uh, ask people to collaborate with me and uh, see where we can uh, take something. Um, I do would I would like to just echo what uh, Paul said there. The um, the FLA team have been amazing um, to us. They've been, Maeve in particular has been so supportive um, of our journey, but the tech team, everybody that we've had any involvement with really just couldn't have been more supportive. And I'm, I'm, I'm hugely grateful and I'm just so happy to be here this year. Well, continued success to all of you. Congratulations on what you have put together. It's amazing. I can't highly recommend it enough. Quarter past four this afternoon at the Town Hall Theatre. So I think it's fairly obvious from listening to that interview that I absolutely loved Verdigree. But I'm curious to see what Dave and Lisa thought of it. Lisa? I really did enjoy this movie. I know enjoy is probably like the wrong word, but it was very well put together. Um, the acting is superb. The story is great. You know, there's, you think it's going to go a certain way and then it goes another way. And you're like, oh God. Um, I didn't realize um, just just how, how the, the caliber of acting talent that we have in Ireland is is fantastic. We, we, we don't utilize it enough, I don't think. There's just, there's a lot of people around that, they're just really uh, good at their craft and I think on, on, onwards they go and Geraldine McElinden was great um, and Maya O'Shea is a, an up and coming young lady. She was fantastic. Um, but even the supporting cast, like the Johns, if you will, of the of the movie, all all very good, all horrible people. But, you know, they were they were on point as their characters. So I thought it was really well put together. I really enjoyed it. And what's interesting there as well, you know, from what you just heard there in the interview was like, you know, Maya was on the verge of just giving up acting because nothing was coming her way. And Geraldine's been at it for 20 years and she was kind of getting to the stage of just maybe moving into a different part of the industry. And just to think of the caliber of actors that we have out there who are nearly given up, <laughs> you know, um, it'd be an awful shame if they had uh, done that. But just their chemistry that they had earlier on this morning in here is just like it is on screen. It's fantastic. Yeah, this film is is very powerful again. Um, and I just like to, to put a little aside in here, you know, hats off to the FLA for selecting a lot of the these, you know, female-led, female-driven films, not just with female directors and female actors, but like female stories as well. And, in, you know, this story is a story about the difficulties that women face, sadly, often at the hands of men. Uh, as a man, I'd like to hope and think that a lot of this is just men don't know what they're doing rather than evil, you know, rather than badness. It's just men are idiots, <laughs> speaking as a woman himself. But, um, you know, there's a lot of men in this with flaws. As Lisa said, you know, they're horrible people, but they're flawed. Like they're humans, they're doing their best, but they're flawed. They don't have any uh, emotional maturity. They're afraid, blah, blah, blah. And the, the, these two women take it all on and they're they're the punching bags for the whole of these the, these horrible men in their life. And um, uh, the... Um, uh, Geraldine's character, uh, Marion, who plays this just ball of warmth and love. And it's like she, she because she never ha was able to have kids and she had a miscarriage and her husband was, you know, an emotional puddle of idiocy. Uh, she had all this love that was almost a savings bank that just is bursting to get out of her. This love and affection and kindness and care for other people. And that's what sparks this relationship with this, um, you know, teenager who is, you know, needs help and assistance. And um, just wonderful characters and a wonderful story. Um, simple story, actually. You know, two women in life and how they come together. Um, 
but very powerful and and really well made and i have to say i enjoyed it a lot more than i thought i was going on when i read the bio i was like okay it's gonna be good it's actually a really good movie good solid movie well told um there's a bit of a shock at the end where you kind of go oh, you know you weren't expecting that which is good but then after you get over the shock you 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 understand it and you almost agree with it and you almost say well that was bound to happen and, yeah, and, yeah, so true, actually. And 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 then it 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 comes full circle, and and um, uh, Maya O'Shea is is an excellent actress. Her her, I'd love to know you you interviewed her, uh, but like, what's her? It, it, was that her real accent in the movie? No, because her accent in the movie is so good. Yeah. You wonder is she from Dublin? You know what I mean? Like, well, I was saying to them before I started recording that I. When I knew I was going to meet Geraldine, I wanted to give her a big hug. And when I knew I was going to meet Maya, I was scared. <laughs> <laughs> but they're both lovely people. Yes. Um, but no, yeah. I but that's the sign of a good actor. Yeah. You could feel the love out of these two characters. That they're, One has buckets of it and she wants to give it out. And the other one is craving it. And it's just a lovely piece of, two pieces of jigsaw fitting together. Wonderful. Yeah, very well said. Yeah, highly recommend it. I got a huge lift when I saw an advanced screen of Verdigree. Highly, highly recommend from all of us that you go and see it at 4.30 this afternoon in the Town Hall Theatre. You will not regret it one single bit. Just before we move on to our final movie as well, Apocalypse Clown is screening at 9.30 tonight in the Town Hall Theatre. Now, this is sold out, but if you really, really do want to go and see it, it's no harm just checking up with them maybe 10, 15 minutes before the screening to see if a couple of tickets have become available. But Apocalypse Clown is just a fun, mad movie. It's going to be released in cinemas nationwide, I believe, in a couple of months. But it's definitely one to look out for. It gets its world premiere tonight in the Town Hall Theatre at half past nine. But the final film we're going to look at on this episode for today is Jericho Ridge, which screens at half ten tonight in the Palace Cinema. It's a slightly late time for a screening but it's well worth staying up for. And earlier on today, I got to meet the writer-director, Will Gilby, and I also met producers Harvey Ascot and Mark O'Sullivan. Have a listen. Harvey, I'll start with you first, if you don't mind, because just before we started recording, we got into a great chat, and I said, hold on, i got to get the recorder. And I was saying that I could not believe that this film was not shot in America, because it, to me, it was clearly... Washington State, whatever it was. I still find it hard to believe, I don't know, am I being spoofed or whatever, that the film was shot in Kosovo. It's, it's a great credit to, to Will, the cinematographer, set designers and so on. But I was curious as to why Gigi choose Kosovo because it's not kind of, you know, the obvious uh, location, f certainly f if you're basing a movie in the States. Yeah, of course. Um, we, well, originally we were meant to be filming Jericho Ridge in April 2020 in Canada but unfortunately because of our lovely pandemic we were not able to shoot it so then over the next two years you know some cast fell in some cast fell out and then what we were trying to do is find out trying to find the right location to shoot it in and we looked at many different um, locations countries around the world you know America even back to the UK uh, Bulgaria everywhere and in the end it was like December 2021, and I was like, right, we've got to, we've got to, one, then get it made, and also two, we've got our lead cast now, Nikki McBird, who is only available in March 2022. So let's really push. And I was like, guys, I've got it. Let's shoot in Kosovo. And everyone was like, what? 
It's like, yeah, let's shoot in Kosovo. And I was like, I've been shooting in Kosovo for about 12 years. I've made features, music videos, commercials. You know, I know a lot of the, um, uh, I know a lot of you know, the, the uh, I know a lot of crew and people out there, like the chief of police and the mayor and the minister of culture, the British ambassador to Kosovo, all that kind of stuff. So we had a lot of support. So I then took Mark, Alex and Will out to Kosovo and our, our Kosovan co-producer, Besnik Karapi, was like, let's go around Kosovo. So we went around Kosovo and every single day we were like, actually, this might work. And everyone was quite skeptical at first. And I was like, guys, this is going to work. This is going to work. I tell you, this is going to work. And then we found all the locations. And I think there was the, the main location that we're still not quite sure on, which was the the main sheriff's office. And then we all had a day off just, just to have a rest. And the ne- uh, that night at 11 p.m., Besnick called me and was like, I've got it. My dad told me where this location is. And it's like this beautiful location in the middle of uh, one of the national parks, Gamir National Park in Pristina, Kosovo. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And we went there the next day and we're like, this is it. And then six weeks later, we were filming and we built a whole sheriff's office in the middle of a forest. So yeah. And that's the reason why we chose Kosovo. And it's got some, I mean, everyone really enjoyed themselves. It was great community of filmmakers people were passionate people cared people wanted to um you know to work on such a great um project and also because you know Kosovo is not normally the normal co-producing capsule really but we made it that and people came and worked with us and we made such an amazing film you know and we also worked with people from around the region as well you know from serbia to macedonia to montenegro to bulgaria uh, to even so our special effects team came from turkey we had such an amazing crew and everyone looked after the, the, the cast and the english crew that came over the british crew that came over to make it what it is well it really works so well done ye Will, as the writer, you know, you have a vision in your head. And, I mean, Nikki says she's available in March. The fact that you just moved heaven and earth to make it work to suit her availability was, without doubt, a fantastic decision because her performance in Jericho Ridge is absolutely amazing. She's a fantastic actress. But in your head, knowing, you know, a vision as you're writing it, and then, you know, you have to direct it and, you know, okay, I possibly have my leading lady. And now this group of vagabonds are trying to bring me all the way over to Kosovo. What's going through your head during all this? Um, well, I, I'm, I sort of trusted in Harvey. I know he's been, he's been building up his contacts and his ability to shoot out there for, you know, over a decade. Uh, um, the, the thing that really excited me about going to Kosovo was the chance to build our sheriff's office as a, as a freestanding set rather than adapting like a, pre-existing building when we we're shooting in canada we were looking at like a ga- abandoned gas station which they film lots of stuff there maybe we could shoot it there another thing was our you know our money went a bit further we were able to get a 28 day shoot rather than a 20 day shoot i mean you're shooting action and stuff like that obviously there's a lot of drama there's a lot of intense emotion and stuff like that but all the, the all the action stuff just takes time safety you know multiple takes all that sort of thing so i was uh, honestly really excited by the whole concept of it i, I not nervous at all this was shot in four weeks 25 days actually we, we lost three days due to illness 
a permit issue and budgeting. We, we, we deleted a scene before we even shot it. So we took that out of the budget. So yeah, it was 25 days it was shot in. Um, so it was a bit of a rush. But like that, you know, when you're trying to create a film like this, which is packed full of sort of, it's an action thriller. The fact that it's contained in a sheriff's office means there's obviously you take out the unit moves, having to move the film crew around. You kind of get rid of that almost entirely and you're able to just sit in one place and dig in and just make it work. You get to breathe a little bit during the film and then it's like, you know, you can feel your heart racing again and then you get a little moment to breathe and then you feel your heart racing again. I, I mean, poor Tabby doesn't really get a, a, an easy time in that uh, office. But I'm wondering, how do you keep the intensity with the movement and the performance working? Or is that just something that you say to yourself, I'll just make it work when it comes to post-production and editing? No, I think it's, 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 you know, it's, it's a huge part. Um, I'm, I'm, my sort of day job is I'm an editor of films and documentaries. And when I write, I, I'm doing an editing pass before I've even shot. So the, the script is maybe 90, 89 or 90 pages. I, I, I didn't want to sort of go into battle with a 100, 110 page script that's going to sprawl and be impossible to shoot. So it's, it's as compressed as possible as it can be. So, and it's as tight as it can be. And then, you know, the, the that gives the actors a little bit of time to breathe on set and, and we're not you know hammering or rushing through any of this and then obviously yeah yeah then in the edit you just it's yeah it's it's finding peaks and troughs you know it's finding moments to release tension and then just keep it together keep it together and then bang you can release for a bit let the audience off the hook and then and then keep building just talking to you i'm, I'm amazed at how relaxed and calm you are in the sense of you know, i can't believe that you made this movie <laughs> yeah, you're just so relaxed and cool I think on I think on I think on day two on day two I think I remember looking at the monitor and just thinking yep I never want to do this again um, and I really did for I think I had about six hour period where I was like this is just but then I just think I think you know that was the first time feature director you know there's a whole proper crew and an amazing amazing company of actors and I'm not necessarily used to working with people of that you know as a as a director you know I've, I've only ever done second unit and short films so I've never really work to that capacity but just started to really really enjoy it and just it, it's super fun and it was you know it's very cold it was very hard work you know we're shooting mostly night shoots which obviously takes its toll on everyone takes a toll on the crew or on the cast um but just yeah really enjoyed it um super focused it was very intense but you know it's very rewarding so now you know you can do it and you know you can do it really well so have you gotten the bug now for more yeah, 100%. This is absolutely what I'd like to do is to try and get another one off in the next year or so. Um, I've got a couple of scripts, um, working on a few things. And yeah, that would be that would be my idea would be to yeah, get another one going as soon as possible, really. We're also joined by another producer, Mark O'Sullivan from Donegal. Mark, what's your history of working in the industry and how did you get involved uh, working with this UK company? I um, started out, um, I went to art school in Dunleary. Uh, got kicked out, which is an achievement in its own right. In fact, my biggest achievement in life, I think. Um, and then started, you know, went to London, started making coffee on sets um, and just kind of built my way up through assistant directing and then into producing. And been doing that for the last 30 years. Harvey will laugh when I say that. But yeah, and then so myself and Harvey met back in 2014 um, when I was running a company in Los Angeles and I said I was going to move back to London and that we should work together. And then, of course, when I came back a few years later, I thought, where is that guy? And in between me meeting him in Venice Beach in 2014 and when I came back in 2018, I think it was, 
um, or 2017, um, Harvey was nominated for an Oscar with film that he made in Kosovo, of all places. So it was the first movie that was ever nominated for an, an Oscar out of Kosovo, which was uh, in Albanian, written written by a, a, a Brit, by a Yorkshire guy, and produced by a guy from Leeds. Go figure. Anyway, so myself and Harvey started up, set up a company, um, started doing really well um, in commercials, music videos. We've got a company called Doggy Dog that does that. And then we set up another company to do film and TV called Delinquent, um, which is the, the company that, that produced this. Um, and then we have another company called In Plain Sight, which does international production in, multi, in multiple countries around the world. So, yeah, I think, you know, listen, what do you do? You, you get on with it. There was no film business for me in, in Ireland when I kind of first started back in the 80s. Uh, it was very, very difficult. Um, there were a few amazing um, directors, producers, but, you know, it wasn't as, as, as widespread as it is now. Um, I mean, Ireland's on on fire right now let's face it look at the oscars last year um you know and and thank god you know we, we've managed to work with some incredible people rory or you know rory uh, the dop on this one is an incredible guy very consistent and a very calm person on set he kept us all going he and nikki and and will kept everybody you know from 5 p.m till 5 a.m for four weeks in minus 15 is a is a very difficult thing to pull off and those guys just were you know they just kept it together so yeah so i think you know listen i had to go off to london ended up in the states you know i've come back can't stand la and for all those people who think la is wonderful it's a big shopping mall um you know and uh london you know there's more things going on in europe right now in in the movie business and tv than there is actually i i think than even in the states so yeah, so I don't know. Well, how do we get together? You know, I think we all we all have the same kind of idea about you know putting hard work and, and energy into uh, into what we do, and I think we pulled it off on this one. You know, this is a small movie. Um, I think it's really stepped up. The the writing was amazing. You know, Will's script and Alex, who's not here at the moment, who Alex Tay, who's the other producer, he gave me the script and said, "The script is the script is perfect." I mean, Jesus, that's a big statement, Alex. And so I read it and I went, oh, it's pretty good. <laughs> okay. So, but you know, and then I started to drill down into it with, well, what about this? And what about that? And what about, what if that character did this? And you know what? And weirdly by doing things like that, you make it better and, and you challenge yourself or yourselves to kind of just keep going. And Will was writing up till, till the last minute, you know, till we were shooting. And as Harvey said earlier, you know, with COVID, we lost two years and then everything came out of COVID. And, and you know, we were we were looking at shooting Louisiana. God, at one point we were in Australia, New Zealand. I mean, I can't remember where else, everywhere. <clears throat> what was it? Ukraine, uh, Bulgaria, England and, and whatever. And, and all of a sudden, Nikki, as, as, as Harvey said, came available. So we had to get it together in three weeks. We had the money. We'd raise the money. We have our own film fund. So off we went. We just went, right, let's go and do it. And, you know, Kosovo, bizarrely, turned out to be that place that no one thought we could do it. But, you know, ultimately, if you're building a sheriff's office up in the mountains in a forest, a forest is a forest, right? So you get your American cars in, police cars in from Bulgaria, from our friends at Nuboyana Studios. They had a few police cars, so we got those in. We, we got SUVs from, from God knows where else, put stickers on them. 
the American uniforms came in from the day before we started shooting from the United States. And we just got basically small, medium, and large <laughs> to make sure we covered our actors. And, um, you know, and we went off and did it. And, yeah, and it kind of it kind of worked out. It was insane. And Pristina is one of these places, you know, everybody kind of worries about, oh, Kosovo, isn't that a place where they kind of like, you know, bombing and killing and this, that, and the other. That was a while ago. And it's got to be one of the most uh, progressive Muslim states I've ever visited. I mean, what is it, 90%, 95% Muslim? You know, 200 years ago, they went from Christian to Muslim. These guys are the most... They, party and they're having fun and their their food is amazing and they're so friendly and it's like it's just you, you walk down the street and they literally will buy you a drink because they were saved you know in in the war by you know the united nations and of course the irish were over there in, in droves as well as as well as the english so it's an incredibly friendly place incredibly open to to you know they want to be part of i suppose a new europe and, you know, there's something we talked about with them weirdly back in the day was that, you know, they can't get visas to leave their country because of whatever. And, like, these guys are the most progressive people I've met in a really, really long time. And they're super, super friendly and super, super great. I loved it. I love the place. Excellent. Thanks, Mark. We'll, we'll, we'll leave the last word to you in terms of putting a movie like this together where and writing it and all that were like where were you getting the inspiration the drive you know were you looking back on Schwarzenegger movies of the 80s and 90s or well I'm not I'm the world's biggest violent 80s action movie fan in the entire world but no I, I think with something like this I was trying to bring in um I was trying to smuggle in like uh, a really intense and hopefully emotional relationship about a dysfunctional relationship between a mum and her teenage son and, and put them through this completely insane night that they'll never experience again and just watch how that relationship copes and how they cope with each other and how she becomes protective. Uh, and I, I, you know, I love all the action stuff to bits, but I just think without having, I just think with the, having a dramatic underpinning like that just helps hopefully to elevate it. Um, and hope that makes it hopefully more memorable. It all happens over two hours, one night. That's the key thing. And so that's a very difficult film. Number one, to, to write, you know, and keep that energy up, but also to make, you know, because you can't cut away. Like normal films, you can cut away from one scene to another story part or, or whatever over a period of time. If it's not working in its linear form, it's not going to work. And, you know, Will, I've got to say, I mean, you just smashed it, dude. <laughs> you killed it. So something I did from the outset, one of the sort of challenges I set myself writing this was that the lead character, Tabby, played by Nikki Amuka Bird, was going to be the only point of view character in the film in the sense that she was going to be in every scene. We'd never have a scene that she wasn't in. So when you're then trying to sort of figure out what is going on around her world, that obviously that makes that a little bit harder, but hopefully that makes it more intense. You never, you know, you never let that pressure go. You're, you're always with her. You're always experiencing this through her eyes. And that's, you know, when we did things like have you know, dash cams and stuff that she could see on her screen and we'd, we'd jump out that way. But that that was just something I, I thought early on would, would help, would be cool. It's a class movie. This was just a class, action-packed, edge-of-your-seat, fun, intense, brilliantly performed. Cinematography is amazing. It's just a really, really brilliant, fun movie to watch. So well done to everyone involved. Thank you, Gary. It's been brilliant. 
this film really does keep you on the edge of your seat, doesn't it? Big time. This is uh, just brilliant. I really enjoyed it. It's it's shoot 'em up. It's defend the castle. It's just it was just great. It was um, the lead actress, uh, sorry, actress Nikki Amuka Bird. Um, I recognised her from many things on the BBC and you know English television and the accent, like she's proper, like you'd swear she's American. She was just brilliant. The storyline is is just it's very simple. I mean, she just is a, a cop that's called back or a sheriff deputy that's called back to the dispatch radio for the night um, because she's on um, kind of on sick leave and she has to come back to because somebody has to do it. Um, and she's in a boot. She's in her ankle, her broken ankle. And uh, she has to defend the sheriff's um, office for the night. And it is besieged by the bad guys. And it's just a very clear story. These are the bad guys. These are the good guys. You know, and it's just it's really the pacing, the, the shots, the, you know, the the action. It's just it's just very well done. I think very well done. Hats off to everybody that was involved. Yeah, this is a good, fun action movie, Dave. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a lean action movie. That's what I call it, lean and mean. It doesn't have, you know, helicopter shots and trains and Mission Impossible and explosions and 5,000 characters in 20 locations. There's one location. They did it well. They started off with this just fantastic character that Nikki portrays. And she's got a wonderfully rich backstory that we don't really see at the beginning. And it's there's she's dark and she's quiet and she's moody and she's got problems. And she's got this pain in the arse little son who's 19 and he's a drug dealer and he's cost her her position. And, you know, he's he's a problem child and she's doing her best with him and he's rude. And she's on the phone at work in the sheriff's office and he's going, mom, mom, I need a need a charger. And she's like, I'm on the phone. And it's just sets her up as just this tortured single mom and she's doing her best and she's doing her best and she's doing her best and then she's watching the dash cam of her her partners in who are, who are in the sheriff's office who are out on a call and she's trying to help them and then she sees them get shot you know shot at and she's worried and then they come back and you're thinking oh all is well and then they get blown away in the car and then it all kicks off and it's a siege movie where she's on her own She's unarmed and she's looking for a gun and all She's this. injured. And she's injured and she's encumbered and her son is involved and there's this wonderful stupid lady who keeps ringing up going, I need you to come down here and fix this. These kids are having a party. And she's like, uh, I'm getting shot at here. You know, it's brilliant. So it's a, it's a really fun action movie. But also there is a big emotional crescendo. And I actually, maybe maybe I'm, I'm reaching here, but I, I, I this film makes me think of Rambo, First yeah, Blood, yeah, Part yeah, One. Yeah, yeah. Because at the end, it's a big cathartic and it also ends in a police station as well, just like Rambo First Blood Part One, which is in my top favorites of all top ten favorites of all time, by the way. So, you know, big kudos to the, the to the guys who made Jericho Ridge. It's there's a big cathartic moment of emotion at the end, which it earns it. A lot of films yeah. go straight to this emotional and you're like, Yeah, yeah, I don't care. You didn't earn this. This these two characters earned every minute of it. And there's a big I won't Spoiler for anybody, please go and see this film. It's great fun. It's a good action movie. But there's a big emotional uh, at the end. And you're sitting there going, uh, and then you're like, oh, thank God. And it's just, you know, solid, solid movie. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. Performances in it are amazing. Even the plot line around, you know, who the bad guy is and what he did and where he lives and get a close up his face. We don't need all that. Didn't and we, did, we didn't get that. We don't need it. But we just need to know there's a bad guy. But you get got, that from a writer-director who lacked confidence. Yes, 
these guys knew yeah. the story is about this sheriff and her son and what she's doing. That's what the story is. That keep the story lean and simple. And don't be wasting time with backstory about the bad. The backstory for the bad guy was very simple, light touch. This is it. Da, da, da. And then, you know, uh, there's a little bit of a MacGuffin. Oh, the guys are besieging the, the sheriff station because they need to get a bit of evidence. That's all you need. Mm. We don't need a big backstory. It's like, okay, there's bullets coming in the window. I don't want to die. And it's just simple and clean. And I really, really enjoy this film. The action is, it's it's both old school and fresh at the same time. It's just a gunfight, but done well. Mm. There's one little slow motion piece in it with an explosion that's not OTT. They earned it. It's realistic. It's fun. It's good visuals. It's, and the, I mean, Nikki, the, the lead actress in this, is phenomenal mm. in this film. She is just... The tension she brings, the pathos she brings, the energy, the power, the big emotional release at the end that she does is fantastic. And she worked, I think, with the Royal Shakespeare Company. So, she, you know, she comes from the theatre, but that does not come across in the movie. Like, she comes across like a real movie actor yeah. in the sense of, like, she does so much with her eyes. Uh, oh, no. You she, know, where sometimes if people come from the stage, it's that little bit more amplified of performance. I mean, if she's not a movie star in the making, then there's something wrong in the movie business because this woman has charisma up the wazoo i mean she is charismatic she's magnetic on screen her emotional range in this film is phenomenal so any casting directors out there go and see this film jericho ridge you have to go and see it you can have your pints in the wrong club or whatever afterwards but you have to go and see jericho ridge i'll first. buy a pint in the wrong club afterwards <laughs> <laughs> me or the people who <laughs> you and anybody who comes up and says they saw jericho ridge based on our recommendation i will buy you a pint that's an order yeah, yeah. brilliant brilliant Dave and Lisa, thanks again for joining me for today's podcast. And if anyone wants to get further details on what's being screened or information on tickets, head over to the website galwayfilmfla.com. There's a great lineup of screenings today. So go out and enjoy them. Mm-hmm.